Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Excogitate Podcast. It's time to think things out. That's right. Hi, everybody. It's Michael Kissel here with the Excogitate Podcast, and uh, I'm here to think things out, hopefully with you a little bit. And this is another one of our shorter episodes. Uh, I really wanted to take the time to talk about some big subjects, but maybe take smaller slices of those subjects if we could and try to condense them into, you know, 15, 20 minute sort of episodes. And um, so hopefully, you know, you've caught the first one that we did on uh, critical race theory and uh, whether or not it's just an analytical tool and some thoughts on that subject. And I wanted to stick with the for the shorter episodes um, for a little while, at least that sort of subject on on critical race theory and critical theories. And, you know, this time I want to talk about a critical spirit. The episode's called A Critical Spirit, I'm sure you noticed. Um, and, you know, the reason why I want to talk about it is I, I really thought a lot in interacting with with woke people, um, with critical race theorist people, and I read their stuff on on Facebook and on Instagram and, and on Twitter, and I see them on the news, and then I listen to some lectures and when I can, and I, and I try to read some of their books. Um, <clears throat> I always buy them used because I hate to pay money for bad ideas um, and to fund, you know, that sort of thing. So, <laughs> so you know where my stance is, right? Um, and the thing that always strikes me is I feel like it's got to be exhausting. And what's really funny about this is I'm actually re-recording right now. Um, I'm re-recording this episode because the news today sort of was, was something I couldn't ignore. I felt like, oh, you're going to release this tonight, and and you've got news that really probably it would require that you mention this. And so I thought, well, sometimes you just gotta you just got to sit down and do the re-record, right? And so that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting down for that re-record. You know, what it was in the news that got me was uh, the U.S. Olympic soccer team. And they lost to Canada. They lost the second game, I guess. I, I'm just going to be really honest here. Um, I have probably followed these Olympics less than I've ever followed any Olympics since I was a small child. Um and people can say what they want to say about it. It's something about something about not having fans. Something about just the tone and the tenor. The the you know the Olympics uh, committee is accept, has forced uh, countries to accept trans athletes as women. Um, I've got a big problem with that, and uh, yeah, I've got a I've got a big big problem with that with biological. Um, you know, male sex males at birth, um, competing against born women in competition. Um, you know, I've got other issues too. I guess, I guess the coverage is, leaves a lot to be desired anymore. I felt, a, you know, so anyway, so I'm sorry, I'm getting off on a tangent there because, because the Olympics and it's weird to me how little interest I actually have in them right now. Um, but you know, I caught that the women's soccer team lost and, and apparently they're out of the gold medal now. 
And there's some people who are really upset about it. And interestingly enough, there's some people who are really happy about it, which, which I'm, I, I can't, I, I'm not, I'm not, I can't say I'm happy. I mean, you know, America is my country and, and I don't want America to lose its stuff. Um, but a player on the team, and I, I, I didn't catch which player said it. And, and, and a couple analysts kind of echoed the sentiment, um, you know, enough of them that I feel, yeah, enough of them, ESPN and, and other outlets. I heard it so many times that it'd be hard to credit everybody who said it, but, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but the basic sentiment was the fun, the fun was gone and they didn't have it. And like, okay, like, what does that mean? And they kind of said, maybe it was COVID and maybe it was, you know, and then they said other stuff that made them not have it. And, you know, I think that's a pretty lame excuse because the truth is, is that every other team that's showing up that they're playing against, like Canada doesn't have COVID. So, I mean, if COVID means they didn't have it, well, you know, Canada has COVID and COVID restrictions and everything in between. So why would Canada have it and they didn't? Or who are, I don't even know who else they lost to. I mean, that's how sad little I followed. But here's the point something else so there's some other reason why they're not having fun and they're not really playing up to their potential and i i gotta tell you there's the big part of me that when i heard that thought of the episode i first shot for this and thought you know i wonder how much of it's all the woke and political stuff i wonder how much of it has become about this megan rapinow i hope i'm saying her name right um megan rapinow who, you know, I mean, her, I guess she's a lesbian. Um, I don't know, like stuff I don't, I'm just, just being honest here. Like, I don't I never watched a soccer game and thought, I wonder who they sleep with. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, honestly, I, I've never watched a, you know, I've never watched a baseball game and thought, man, I really wonder if that dude's straight. Because I've never cared. And, and you know, after the last Olympics and they won gold and everything, I mean, her her sexual identity was out front. Her politics were out front. And, and everybody on the team had to get in line and, and, and all the woke stuff. And I don't know, kneeling and, you know, just everything else that goes on with all that stuff was just became out front. And and really, they, they won, I feel like, and they became, maybe this is, partially uh partially perception and maybe that plays into it too but it just felt like they won and then all of a sudden everything became with them became super political from like their you know feel like women's pay and stuff like that and and it was like okay well i don't know you bring in less revenue than the men so, I mean, if you look at the percentage of the revenue that you bring in, it's not really that bad. But anyway, that's this is part of what critical theories and intersectionality and and critical race theory is, is part of that camp does to people. It it turns them, it turns their spirit into a critical spirit, a grumbling spirit, a spirit that's able to find fault with any system because any system that doesn't perfectly distribute things uh is inherently racist or sexist or 
or as problematic they would say is a is a is a system based on oppression because it doesn't because it doesn't yield exactly the same results for this for everybody or for every group every grouping of people i should say as they group people by by things like sex and by things like um gender identity sexuality race that sort of thing um you know they expect equal outcomes for all those people. And so when there's not an equal outcome, um, which by the way, there, there's almost never going to be, I mean, the, the number of people that you, the number of people doing something that, that you would expect to have to do it before, before you saw stabilization and, and outcomes is astronomical. But, but it's even more when you consider the fact that, that that's not how nature does things. Um, you know, there's a thing called a Pareto distribution. I don't want to get too nerdy up for you here, but but the basic concept is, is that uh, to whom to whom has much, even more will be given. And and we kind of see that. We see that law in nature. There's some trees that grow double the height of the other trees and get double the resources. And and then there's all those other trees. And and those are the outliers, right? The trees don't all grow to the same height. The lobsters don't grow all to the same size. So Jordan Peterson fans are like excited I said lobsters right now, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> uh, that's his example, by the way, the lobster thing. But but people have noticed these things. And, and that distribution has been discussed widely by guys like Jordan Peterson, by guys like other people, by scientists mathematicians, Pareto, I mean, there, uh, there's a, there's a reason why there's a bell curve and that's because at the extremes, there's less people at, at both extremes for stuff. Um, but the ones at the, at the high end get, have a lot more, have a lot, lot more. And so we, we don't, we wouldn't expect, we wouldn't expect normal distributions uh, for everybody to have the same results because some people are just, you know, going to be good at stuff and some people aren't and sometimes due to cultural varying factors and sometimes racism like i'm one of those people that says sometimes racism and other stuff but the, but the point is there's a lot of different factors that go into determining those distributions and and so you know i'm not one of the people that says it's never racism or that racism or the legacy of racism never had any impact on that because i, cause I just don't think that's honest but I think, I think when you see systematic oppression or even purposeful oppression everywhere you look all the time and it becomes the, the coarsest belli, the reason for war in your life, I think it makes you neurotic. Um, I think it makes you unhappy. I think it's, it's almost, it becomes almost a form of paranoia. And I've seen this happen to some of my good friends I've seen this critical spirit where at first it was very empowering to their ego. They had something that they could, they always had something negative they could say that they knew more about because they learned this little system that gave them a trick to say why everything's wrong and everything's evil and everything's bad and they know better than everything that is. And at first it's extremely satisfying to a person's ego, I think. I mean, you know... You know how it is when you start complaining about things at work, right? At first, you feel smug. You feel smug. You see the problems and nobody else does, and you're fantastic, and they're not. 
Well, when you, when you learn critical theory, um, critical race theory and intersectionality, and you learn every system oppresses by nature that doesn't have perfectly equal distribution across all people, equity, they would say, then, then you learned that uh, everything else out there is bad and that you're smart enough to analyze everything and everyone and tell them how they're bad. So you gain a critical spirit. But what happens in a critical spirit is what's empowering to your ego at first becomes depressing. As you live in that neuroticism, as you live in that paranoia, as you criticize everything that is, and you destroy the foundations on which you live your life, you destroy the goodwill that you have towards other people in this. And let me explain. Part of One of the hardest things about being a person in a society, being an individual, um, being an individual in a cohesive society, so that means being yourself, being the center of reason, all those things I talked about a little bit more in the first sort of segments of episodes, but being together with one another and cooperative and having a meaningful sort of social relation requires that at times that we give people who really haven't earned it the benefit of the doubt, that we give people a certain assumption of goodwill. Not that they're good people. I have Calvinist friends that are going to be like, nobody deserves the presumption of goodwill. And it's like, yeah, but but you don't, but see, you don't actually, you don't actually live that way. And it's not actually gracious to assume that you know exactly the intentions of people's hearts or that the intentions of people's hearts are the worst that they possibly could be in any given moment. In fact, you're never called to judge like that. Um, even if you're, if you're a believer and you're Calvinist, what does Jesus say? Uh <laughs> The measure by which you judge, it'll be judged back to you, pressed down, right? Uh, basically speaking, that you can expect that the measure by which you judge will be judged back to you. And so when you're interacting with people, you, you want a certain benefit of the doubt. And you, so that's gracious, right? And it's, and it's gracious to be that way because, you know, who is anybody that you should live that way, right? Who is who? Who are people that you should trust them? But society just works better like that. I mean, um, so much so that, you know, our bias towards determining whether or not people lie or tell the truth is, is really more set towards, towards assuming that people are telling the truth until they give us a reason not to. Critical theory teaches you not to think that way. Critical theory teaches you to assume that people, they're, they're, they're either stupid, um, and they're, and they're unwitting, oppressors, they're unwitting sort of dupes of the system or replicants of the system who are also replicating it, or or worse, they're bad actors who are purposefully for their own selfish and individual purposes uh, are, are duplicating systems of oppression. And there's just not a lot of room for goodwill interaction between people and that sort of understanding of the world. There's not very much grace. And so they develop a critical spirit. And that critical spirit, like I said, first empowering. But what happens is, is, it, is you start to poison all your relationships. As you start to find even the way that people who you agree with don't see all the racism or all the discrimination or all the oppression that you see because you're the really smart person. Which is, by the way, always the danger of feeding 
uh, our arrogance and our pride is that, uh, you know, it, when we start thinking we're better than people, we keep going until we think we're better than everybody usually. It's just how we are as people, and we have to be very careful with that. But that critical spirit just gnaws, and it eats, and then it starts to foment paranoia and base neuroticism. And we suspect things everywhere, and then we go on the attack, and people go on the attack, and they become... And I've watched this pattern with people who have turned on to the woke thing too many times. And they turn on the attack, and they start to further poison all their relationships with their suspicion that everybody is contributing to racism. And then there gets to be so much anger. And it turns, oftentimes it turns inward and it turns into depression because that constantly sort of, un, you know, anger exists to tell us that we need to act. So when we have an anger that we simply can't act on and we keep stoking it, you know, a lot of times we'll turn it inwards. And I mean, I've watched this pattern with people several times, several of my friends who have gone woke and to be, to be quite blunt, I'm still waiting for the first person I know who went woke, who went woke, stayed woke, and became happier because I haven't met that person yet. I mean, and maybe they exist, but I got to say, and maybe you can anecdotally go out there and check this out yourself, but I don't think that it's, I, I, haven't, I haven't met that person who's become happier. It's just angrier and angrier and angrier until they're either exhausted or they wind up on a psychiatrist couch and somebody needs to tell them like, Hey, listen, you need to back off from this. And, and, and to be honest with you, it, it, it reminds me a lot of dealing with some of the communists I knew when I went to college in Boston and guys that I would talk to from my job and everything who just kept on getting angrier and angrier and angrier about the economy in this state, which is, which is no coincidence because, because this conflict theory that critical race theory and critical theories, uh, these sort of theories and and their basis uh, are naturally tied to this. You know, that sort of villainization, that idea of of purposeful and and not purposeful systemic oppression and and turning other people into your enemy. And then, you know, anyway, so I watched it with them and I watched it take them down this road to the point where they became completely unlike the people they used to be. And it was sad. And it was pathetic to be, I don't know a better word for it. And it was all because they yielded to the critical spirit because somebody put a tool in their hands that let them criticize the whole world and tear it apart and make themselves better than everyone and everything they see. And in the end, they wound up full of rage, full of depression, full of paranoia, completely neurotic and until I see some really significant proof otherwise I'm just going to go out there and continue to say this I don't think that these critical theories actually have a whole lot else to offer and maybe that's one of the most important ways that we need to confront critical theories we need to make sure that we don't become angry and bitter, and overly critical of criticizing all things all the time, and not being fair-minded, and not extending the benefit of the doubt, and assuming that everybody wants to be a bad person. But we have to also understand that the things that we nurse, the things that we nurse can feed our our already our cognitive biases and our pride, and really lead us down a bad path. And I think critical theories 
leads us to critical spirits, which leads us to a ton of unhappiness. I'll catch you next time on the Scotch Tape Podcast.